Welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health and parenting. Today, I am very, very excited to have on Eve Rodsky, who has been on before. So this is my first return guest, um, who is a New York Times bestseller, a Reese Witherspoon's book club pick, and a new author to a new book called Finding Your Unicorn Space. So excited to talk about that today. In Fair Play, though, Eve urged women to rebalance their domestic responsibilities and reclaim time for themselves. Her book started a national conversation and launched a movement toward greater equality on the home front. And then quarantine hit, and life as we knew it was upended. Now all of us are faced with an even more pressing question. How can we carve out a little time for ourselves? So Eve, you're, you call this personal time in unicorn space, not just a luxury, but something that we all really need. So first I want to say welcome. So good to see you. Uh, Thank you. Your face on Zoom. I know. I know. I'm so excited to jump in. I don't even want to do my own intro. So anyway, I want to say the research seems to be clear right? Creativity is needed for positive mental health. Um, I want to know all the things that you learned about that. And I want to start off by you sharing with us why you think creative time is not an option. Um, I love it so much. Um, and I want to just also preface my uh, interview with thank you for you for being featured in the book. Um, thank you for being willing to be interviewed. Um, and all the releases it takes and all that stuff. So I see your invisible work and thank you for your time. Your advice is always invaluable. And I quote you all the time when I speak anywhere. Um, so hopefully people will eventually tell you that I do that. But, um, yeah, creative time is not optional. Um, that is the premise of the second book. Writing about creativity is sort of how I felt about writing about the gender division of labor. It was definitely not on my third grade board. When they say, what do you want to be when you grow up? It probably had like astronaut or veterinarian. But as I've come to start understanding the intersection of women's creativity, identity, happiness, the things uh, that to me underlie gender justice, uh, when women can step into their full power outside the home. And Fair Play is about men stepping into the full power in the home in hetero cisgender relationships. That was step one for women to step into their full power outside the home. But step two is, if you're in your full power, what does that even mean? And often what I've seen lately is in the research for this book that now is in the thousands of interviews, but there were 750 dedicated CRM entries uh, in my database for actual um, interviews that had similar questions. The themes kept being that we don't even know what that power is because as a society, time is our ultimately our most valuable currency. But as women, especially, we've been taught to give it away for free to everybody else. And so this book is not so much an answer, but a question to how glorious it would be if we actually retain some of that currency for ourselves, for our own wealth. And that's the metaphor of unicorn space. And it's also a practical program, but it explores why it is that it's so hard to step outside our permissions um, to be unavailable from our three roles as parents, partners, and or professionals. By professionals, I mean anybody who works for pay or doesn't work for pay, but who works in, inside the home. Why is it so subversive to have uninterrupted attention and time for the things that we love to do? So Eve, one of the things that 
you also say, well, first of all, I want to highlight that you call them the three P's. So I know you just said that, right? Us, our roles as potentially as parent, professional, and what was the third P? Partner, partner. Partner, right. I love how you talk about how we need to throw out the words hobby, vanity project, and the notion of distractions. So tell me how you got to that. Was that out of the interviews? Was that a thought you've had in your mind? Where did that come from? Well, I think anything women do is undervalued. <laughs> that That's what I've, I've come to realize. Um, and that's not just me, you know, talking that we, we know that in, in many different data points, we say things uh, as a society, like breastfeeding is free. Um, when it's really 1800 hours a year, we, we know that when women enter male professions, the salaries automatically come down. So we know that women are devalued. Um, and my feeling about the urgency of having uninterrupted attention for things that we love, that flow state, the creativity that I redefine as unicorn space because I felt like the word creativity was too limiting, is also limited by other devaluing words like hobby or vanity project or passion project. Or my favorite, Cheryl, um, which relates to your work, is when a lot of burnout experts talk about midlife crisis, they talk about it in association with throwing off the roles um, that you traditionally have and finding your creativity. And I don't think we should define that as midlife crisis. I think we should define that as midlife thriving and encourage it as opposed to look at it as a signal that we're going through some sort of crisis. So I think we'll, the way we've talked about creativity, or again, as it's redefined as unicorn space, what makes us us and how we share that with the world, I, I think not only has it been devalued, but there's been no language. So for me, I had to create my own language, which is, I love the idea of space, taking up space, but space is not enough. For me, it was, I wanted magical space, but why I like the word unicorn as opposed to other magic, maybe like magic wand space or witch space, which I, I like the idea of being witches. The idea of a unicorn is that it's a mythical being that doesn't fucking exist. It doesn't exist until we reclaim it. And so that's, that's where that, the name came in. I love that. So I want to talk to you about this. I've been noticing some of this is like my Peloton. I get really inspired by like <laughs> Robin on Peloton. And yes, she's in the book too. She's actually right next to you in the book. What? Yes, <gasps> yes. You just Cheryl made Robin. my day. I'll have to put you on an email together. You do. You know, what's funny. I just heard her speak like a couple of weeks ago and she was on stage and I was like, we talk about the same mm -hmm. things. Like we are so like she's Puerto Rican and Cuban. I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban. We're yes, both in yes. New York. We have the whole thing going on. But anyway, one of the things that I hear her say, and I've just been hearing people say, and now you just said it too, is in a, talking about space. Like, like I've been hearing people talk about like, don't be afraid to take up too much space. And like, for some reason, that message really resonates with me. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. I have been afraid of taking up too much space. And I'm sure some people will be surprised to hear that, but sometimes I do, I feel like, oh wait, I need to make a whole lot of room for people. So what are, what are your thoughts? Tell me more about this notion about space. Cause I've been really inspired by it. Well, I appreciate that. And I actually think that for me, it's looking at space and time because the fair, the fair play through line, um, why this is a fair play book and why this felt to me like it was the logical sequel 
was the idea of how we treat and value women's time in our society. So as I said to you earlier, not only is it devalued, but as a society, we treat and value and guard, literally guard men's time as if it's diamonds, like it's finite. And we treat and we view and we talk about our time as women as if it's infinite, like Sam. One of the early messages I heard a lot that I now call toxic time messages for how we lose our ability to take up space and time was this idea that, oh, you know, justifications from women about why we don't have as much time choice over how we use our day, why we do so much more childcare and housework than our male counterparts. And a lot of it, besides terrible messaging, as we know, Cheryl, from our last time together around being better multitaskers, which we're not saying things for ourselves, like in the time it takes me to tell him or they what to do, I should do it myself, or say my partner makes more money than me, so I should have less time for myself. Those are all bad, bad, (laughs) bad messages. But the one that's related to space and time is this idea that, yeah, we are two colorectal surgeons, or yeah, we both do have, you know, very high profile uh, careers, or we both have very busy lives, but my partner's better at focusing on one thing at a time, and I can find the time and space. And so the idea that we cannot find time and space, we're not Albert Einstein. We don't know how to mess with the space-time continuum. And so for me, it's looking at the space-time continuum. It's looking at the fact that when we say we can find time and space, what we're actually saying to ourselves is I have to make a different choice over how to fit in things that may burn me out in my day, but my other counterparts, the people out there, get to guard their time. And so what we see is we do see the discrepancies that men have almost twice as much leisure time as women do. We see that after kids come along, um, men do five to 15 hours a week less um, in the home. than. Uh, and the reason why I center these heterosis gender norms is because they so beautifully dovetail with the milestones, those three Ps that we just talked about, where again, we, have, we, we don't get to take up space because if we're in our roles as parents, partners, professionals, okay, We'll tolerate you, but God forbid you try to take up space for anything else. That's when the danger comes. That's when we have to fight um, for that space and time. And I saw it with my first book, Cheryl, when I was taking Sundays off to write. You know, once Seth and I agreed to that, my whole community shamed me. Well, this isn't, you don't have a publishing deal. You're not a writer. Don't you want to spend time with your family on Sundays? Isn't your husband's not going to, he's going to leave you for someone else that he meets on a Sunday because you're never with him, it was just on and on again, the shaming, 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 shaming that you and I talk about because you are my premier expert on guilt and shame uh, when we take up too much space. Say it so, so well. I'm wondering how, because I've had this experience, I'm wondering what yours is, how have men responded to your work and how do they continue to respond to it? Well, I'll speak of many men, but my first love letter would be to Seth. This gets back to the dovetailing of why creative pursuits came next after Fair Play. Because too many women, too many said to me, well, if I have this newfound time and space, I wouldn't even know how to fill it. And that was really troubling to me because all of these women are extremely vibrant and creative people. And by creative, we're opening that definition to being People like me, left brain people, where my creativity is my curiosity around the gender division of labor, does not have to be art, doesn't have to be a paper and pen, drawing something beautiful. But in that context, Seth now says, you know, I'm so proud of you. 
I'm so proud of you, even though your unicorn space is a book that portrays me in a very shitty light. (laughs) And so I think that dynamic, the dynamic of a midlife crisis isn't finding your creativity. The dynamic of a midlife crisis that I saw was that the people closest to us start to resent the things that we love. And so when you're in a partnership that's like, ah, he's golfing again. Ah, she's writing her book again. Ah, she's on a spy because apparently, you know, rock climbing has become her thing or their thing. It's, it's terrible. We want to embolden and embody and look at our partners and say, I support who you want to become. But because we're at such a dearth for ourselves and we don't reflect on it, it becomes so hard to grant that permission, that generosity to others around us. I think to underscore what you're saying, I can't help but think it because I've been in process of it myself is you have to practice this a lot though. I think. Yes. A hundred percent. Right. Like your examples, I literally have to practice sometimes putting a smile on my face and being like, oh, okay, great. Have fun at tennis. Right. <laughs> <laughs> really inside. I'm like, well, I wish I was getting to play tennis. Right. And then I, I have to calm myself down and remember that like, my space gets reclaimed. And this is an interesting thing. I don't know what you think about this, but sometimes like, so let's say that's a Saturday morning. There's pro- there's a lot of equity, I'd say within my marriage, right? So maybe Sunday morning is my morning. And this is my choice though, but sometimes it's going to be that I'm going to get to do something fun. I would say more often than not though, I actually think time to work on a weekend is a luxury, is something that I very rarely can get, or there's gotta be something really important going on that I'm like, yeah, I need Sunday mornings. I'll get up and I'll always get up early, right? I'll get up at some ungodly hour on the, Mm -hmm. on the weekend. So it's not too disruptive. I'll be back by 10 in the morning. So do you think that there's that freedom to say how you're going to reclaim? Cause sometimes my creativity, I actually have only in the last few years thought of myself as creative. And now I think I'm really creative. You're so creative. Oh my God. I, I've yes. never thought of myself that way though, because I think of what you're saying is I'm not artsy. I can hardly do a stick figure. Like I'm not an artsy person, but I do actually really see my creativity, but I need time for it. Just like, you know, what people are saying to you. So my, this is a long way of asking the question. Is this about like re- your unicorn space? Can it be for work? Can it be for creativity around Cause I love my work. So it's not like, uh, I have to go do that. Like, I love it. Is that count? A hundred percent it does. And I think, you know, a lot of people ask me about unicorn space and privilege. And, and as my friend Natalie Nixon beautifully says, creativity often thrives in constraint. And I actually saw that people who had very overwhelmed lives, busy lives, um, single parents, um, like my mother, um, they were often able to, identify their, their unicorn space, um, more than sometimes people at, at the higher ends of, of economic privilege who identified to me as say part of the 1%. But that also gets to who gets to do unicorn space as their job. That is a privilege. But, but I would say that your unicorn space is a hundred percent your job because what, what I saw in the, in the framework, the beautiful part of this book was it, it, it gets to really combat some of these gender justice issues in the beginning, similar to the way Fair Play did. But ultimately, even if you don't resonate with that part, the most of the book is a how-to. It's really a how do you step into your full power outside the home in these beautiful ways. And the framework, I'm going to just tell you the three C's that kept coming up and why I think your job is your unicorn space or one of your unicorn spaces is it starts with a curiosity. 
And so when I read Mommy Burnout, um, I'm not putting words in your mouth, but this idea that what's going on around me? What's happening with my patients? Something here is is not right. You know, this curiosity of trying to understand what you were hearing and so beautifully wrote about in your book. And then the idea of connection, the idea that you took yourself outside of your patients and said, you know what, I'm going to share what I learned with the world. So it's curiosity and then connection. And then the third through line that I saw in all of these creative interviews that I write about is completion. As my friend Amanda says, she's living sometimes in a graveyard of unfulfilled dreams. <laughs> and I think that's a very provocative way to say it, but completion is really hard. It's easy to stay in the idea phase. And what you do every week, Cheryl, is you complete. You complete an episode here. You have to edit it. You have to decide who you're having on. You have to be okay sharing it with the world, even if maybe you didn't like the questions you asked or the podcast went in a direction that wasn't exactly what you were hoping for that week. That's the third step that I find is often really, really hard. And so, yes, whatever it is that you feel is tied to your values, your values-based curiosity that you can share with the world, which is that connection piece that you ultimately complete, not perfect, because as you said, this is a practice. Asking for the space is a practice. What you do in that space is a practice. Those three things, though, are the through line to unicorn space. And so, yes, yeah, so again, not, not putting words into your mouth, but in being able to show you as an example to your listeners, I think 100%, if you can start to think about your life as a series of curiosity practices, connection practices, and completion practices, where we'd all be in a much more creative place. I love that. I just had a copy of your book uh, digitally and I don't have the physical one yet. I, I need to have that in my hands. Yes, we didn't have that because of the supply chain. So finally, you're going to get a beautiful box soon. It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful cover. I said that the second I saw it, but I really want to, I want to, I want to hit on the, so what I, why I was saying that was I didn't get to the third section, which is completion or one of the final sections is completion. And I was, I was, I was curious, like, what's that going to say? But now that you just said it that way, so it's the first time I'm hearing it, so it's striking me, I think it is the absolute key. All I ever do is sit around, I'm a very curious person in my mind, right, is sit around and go, I wonder how many awesome ideas have never come to fruition Mm -hmm. all the time. How many recipes, bakeries, grand, you know, world peace ideas, whatever it is, right? I feel like everybody has at least one, if not multiple amazing ideas, but it's that completion. And how can you complete, right? That's what it was so funny to me was I was thinking about completion because it's an important piece of this puzzle. Completion is so interesting, Cheryl, because it's the opposite of burnout in a lot of ways, right? Mm -hmm. This idea of completing something that makes you interested in your own life is really the opposite of burnout, which is, you know, you talk about burnout in a much more nuanced way than so many people that I get to speak with on panels. And often sometimes what I hear from them is take a walk around the block or make sure you find an uninterrupted day a week. And it feels so disconnected from my reality as a woman or as a parent. I'm like an uninterrupted day a week. I can't even get, on average in the pandemic, there was a time survey that showed women were being interrupted every three minutes and 42 seconds. And that was the longest stretch of time for us. Right. I'd have to run away. And even then I wouldn't get under, I'd have to run away and turn my phone off. Yeah. And and then, you know, there was nowhere to go. So I remember in those days, I would just be sort of wandering the streets and 
but then I would have a great idea and I'm like, shoot, I didn't, I forgot my phone back at the house. And so I'd have to run in and be like, should I just like scroll it on my, you know, with my fingernail, I'm in blood on my finger. I don't even have a writing utensil. How do you have these ideas and not lose them? Like you said, part of it is the idea of uninterrupted attention for things we love and that uninterrupted attention which um, is often called the flow state or is talked about again by very pale and male experts um, is not afforded to, to women unless we reclaim it. And so, and it's harder to complete. It is harder to complete if we have just chopped up very small sections of time. And so that's why I believe you need the first part of the book. I could give you a creativity program, but if I don't acknowledge the lived experience of women by saying, the permission to be unavailable from our roles is really, really difficult. That permission to build, burn guilt and shame, that's the chat, one of the chapters you're in. Um, the permission to ask for what we need. There's a lot of prep that often goes into the practice of just getting to that first step of being able to explore our curiosities. So it's so, so important. I mean, I've never thought of it that way, but you're right. The antithesis of burnout is completion because Lately, I've been talking so much to companies, right? They all want to know, how do, how do we bring this mental wellness into the workplace? How do we prevent burnout? What do we do, right? We're in, a, we're in a crisis with people burning out right now. And I always tell them one of the biggest factors is if somebody feels that no matter how much work they do, there is no end point. <laughs> there is no pause. There is no celebration. I brought that up to a couple companies and they're like, celebration? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like when you complete a project pause, celebrate the win before you just roll right into the next thing. And they were like, wow, yeah, no, I don't think we really do that. We're busy. <laughs> I know that's how we get burned out people. So yes. And by the way, that's exactly what was wrong with my law firm. I remember we would complete these huge deals, Cheryl. And I mean, huge. And they'd be on the front page of New York Times. And we were the sort of the, you know, the mics and behind the lawyers that no one gives credit to. But we'd been up for days, weeks, sleeping on floors, eating, subsisting on M&Ms. And I remember once we had this giant deal and I kept saying, like, where's the partner that takes us out to lunch or brings us a cupcake or says, you know what, go home and sleep for two weeks. But I remember one, we had this one deal. I'd been on the floor and I was like dragging my sleeping bag out of my office my disheveled office. And then I remember the, the assigning partner. I see my sort of red light blink saying, um, oh, we have assigned you to your next assignment. And it just felt so deflating, like a balloon had been, had been popped. Yeah. Like this, this, so this is it. This is what you get. The end of the rainbow is here's your next one <laughs> and, and rinse and repeat. So you're right. I mean, I think I hadn't had the words for that. I would just say you need to celebrate, right? That would be my C, a celebrate. I love celebrate too. <laughs> um, but yes, maybe it's completion and then celebrate. Celebration, I love it. Right? But you're right. There, People need to have that sense of accomplishment. Like what I do actually matters. And there's some sort of end result that we acknowledge before moving on. Um, I love that. And the other thing that... Um, I think goes hand in hand when you were talking about taking a walk. I mean, I, I always have something on me because I am that person that gets random ideas and I will be like, Oh, but I forget, you know, one of the things during the pandemic that I did, I'm curious if you have like a little hack around it is I just did, and I'm still doing it five minutes of quiet every day. 
just sitting here at my office, nothing fancy. It's like my replacement for meditation because I'm probably not, re- you know, this is going to be it. So I just try to be quiet, close my eyes, silence everything. And I keep this, you know, pad next to me and a pen. And sometimes just to do things come out of my brain, sometimes creative things, but I just give myself five minutes of quiet. That's my little hack. Do you have a unicorn space hack you can share? Absolutely. I do have two. One is obsessed with showers. I know that's probably not the most eco-correct thing to say, but I think my, I write about it in unicorn space that my friends know that I have a lot of ideas in the showers. So they bought me this notepad that is waterproof <laughs> to, to put in there. That's and so awesome. I think, I think showers are a really good reflective place because um, what, what we're talking about here, and then I'll bring up another practice uh, you said, and what I'm saying um, is actually proven in science. Um, there is a study of diffuse thinking, which is why so many people have these, as opposed to sort of the intense thinking of, okay, I'm checking off my list at Costco. Okay. I got my, my beer, my white claw, my, my, um, my ribs. It's the diffuse thinking of just being able to sort of wander around to sort of lose yourself in, in nothingness. And I think that's what your quiet affords you. That's what my shower affords you. Just the idea of a stare off into space. And then that's when these ideas sort of are able to, to float in. That's called diffuse thinking. But the other one I would say for me is gets back to the idea of the practices, looking at this as a practice as opposed to creativity as a one and done thing you put on a wall. Part of the communication practice, the, the second C, the connection, you know, the curiosity connection completion. Part of the connection piece was trying to get, and this is so beautiful. I also saw something in science that shows that highly intelligent EQ people, highly emotionally intelligent people are more apt to do this. So I felt very proud of myself, but the idea that you can practice asking strange and weird questions to strangers. And so that became another life hack. Um, I, it was easier to do in the guise of the book, but I was able to call up people that I didn't even know, not like you, because you were so generous and a friend, a spiritual friend, but people I didn't know. And I was able to ask them, what makes you you and how do you share it with the world? I asked people online at Costco that question. I asked people online when I was getting vaccinated um, what makes you you and how do you share with the world? I'm a creativity researcher. Most people thought I was weird or didn't have an answer for my question, but it doesn't mean you can't ask strange questions that fulfill your curiosity in strange moments. I do think it's really a fun practice to think about. And that was also for me a hack during the pandemic, just to ask the weirdest questions I could think of to the biggest um, populations I could think of, which was often Uh, people in grocery checkout lines and, you know, in open public parks at that time. I love that. And all I keep thinking was, even if I didn't know you when I was standing online to get vaccinated (laughs) and you asked me that question, I'd be like, oh my God, we're going to be best friends. I found my person online. (laughs) Yes. And I do. I think that, you know, we're all sitting there waiting and scrolling our lives away in these spaces in between. And and sometimes there's a practice there that we can think of, um, whether it's your diffuse thinking, the moments of quiet, or uh, the practice of asking questions that feed your curiosity. And one more thing about curiosity, because we, we got to really dive into connection and completion. But one more thing I want to say about curiosity is that I had a friend and she was saying this is a joke, but she said, you know, the only thing I'm curious about lately, Eve, because she was extremely burnt out, is scrolling I'm curious about my friend's Venmo transactions. <laughs> and so 
I was like, oh my God, I didn't even realize you can like look at other people's like what they purchased um, on Venmo. So she showed me how to do it. And I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. It feels like such a violation of privacy. But what curiosity can come in many forms, but the curiosity we're talking about here that's linked to creativity, longevity, and mental health is really curiosity based on your values. Not to put words in your mouth again, but you know, I would say probably Cheryl, you have some values around, you know, creating community, making things better for others, um, some versions of justice in your life. Um, I can almost feel your values coming through um, because I, I'm a religious listener to your podcast. And that's what I hope. I hope people, um, this book is, is a, it, it teaches you um, and it really encourages you to return to your core values or the ones you have today, which can change by the way. Judaism is full of obligation. That's a big value. Um, but you know what? One day I said, you know, I, I'm sick of feeling obliged to wipe asses and do dishes. And so I sort of left obligation on the sideline and I resurrected my justice, community, connection, the values that creativity, the ones that I was excited about for now. And that's where um, the second book led me. So glad it led you there. I'm so happy to connect with you. Anytime I get to talk to you, I, I realize how in sync we are and how our universes just cross over with each other. I'm so happy you wrote this book. When you told me, it feels like two years ago, maybe yeah. you were writing this book about creativity or you said something like that. I was like, huh, I wonder what that's going to be. And now that it's born, which it's born, yay, and out on December 28th, 28th? Yay, 28th, yeah, you know. It's so, so important. And I think the lens that you bring to it is so, um, it's so digestible for people. So I can't wait for people to read this beautiful book with this amazing cover, mm -hmm. um, with you as its amazing author, mother, birther. And I want to support you in any way. Thank you so much for, uh, supporting my work and many, many, and just women, millions of women. You, that is really what your calling has been. And I don't know if you always knew it was going to be, mm -hmm. but it's very clearly you're, you're here to support and lift up other women. You're doing a beautiful job at it. Congratulations. And where can people find you, Eve, and your book? Yes, they can find me at Eve Rodsky. That's my more personal political Instagram. Everything related to unicorn space uh, and fair play is at fair play life. We answer DMs. We want to hear from you. Um, and yeah, I want, I, I'll, I'll, I'm going to email you, put you on email with Robin Arzon. I see her on this podcast. I think you guys will have an amazing conversation and I'm just happy, happy holidays, Cheryl. So good to see you. Thank you. You too, Eve. And, um, again, the book is unicorn space and the subtitle is tell me the subtitle again. Cause it's so good. Reclaim. It's reclaiming our... Yeah, yes. It's reclaim your right to be creative in a too busy world. So it's really, the world is too busy. But again, this is about how we we stop giving our, our most important currency away and keep it for ourselves. Absolutely. And that, I think, just goes along with the message I've been saying for a long time. We need to ban busy. Busy builds walls, right? And um, thank you for not being too busy for me. You're super fancy now. You're super <laughs> fancy. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. I'm so proud of you. And um, I will look forward to supporting Unicorn Space in any way. And I'm going to read it to completion. I've got to read completion. Hey, read the completion chapter. I think you'll really like it. Okay. Thanks, Eve. Bye. Bye-bye.